welkom bij weer een nieuwe aflevering van de Copernicast. Um, en vandaag hebben we een hele bijzondere aflevering, uh, om twee redenen. Um, namelijk, we hebben twee internationale gasten. Um, en daarom gaat de rest van deze podcast ook in het Engels. Um, en het tweede is dat jullie uh, ja, de Copernicast dit keer horen beginnen met mijn stem in plaats van uh, Timons zwoele opening. Uh, omdat Timon er vandaag niet bij is. Uh, vanwege de coronaregels kunnen we maar met z'n vieren in de podcast zitten. We hebben twee gasten, dus uh, Jaap uh, is hier wel met me. Hoi Jaap. Hallo. Um, en verder hebben we twee gasten. So, uh, on to English. Uh, I just welcomed our listeners to another episode, uh, the ninth ec- episode actually of the Copernicast. Um, and the Copernicast is a podcast about life as an early researcher. Um, and today we want to talk about how that is from an, uh, an international perspective. So how are your experiences as an international um, in the Netherlands? Um, so I will start with introducing you guys. And I think Martin, if you want to start. Um, hi, yeah, so um, I'm Martin uh, Calisto Friant, and I um, come from Ecuador and France. Uh, started uh, as a PhD researcher at the Copernicus in 2018, September, and uh, yeah, been there since then. Cool. Okay, and what did you do before? Uh, actually, let's move on to Kaustop okay. first. Yes, uh, my name is Kaustop Papa, and I also joined the project with Martin in September of 2018. And uh, I am from Nepal and now doing my PhD here in the Netherlands. Cool. Welcome, guys. So, Kaustop um, and uh, Martin are both uh, actually roommates of uh, Jaap and I in, uh, yeah, back in pre-corona times when we were still allowed to be at the university on a regular basis Good and be in days. our rooms. Um, and I think this is a really cool topic because we have always said that, yeah, our primary audience is PhD students. We talk about life as a PhD student. Um, but we actually ignored a large part of uh, of the PhD students so far um, because we only t- looked at Dutch uh, PhD students. And maybe a little bit of a, a quick quiz. Um, how many, p- per- what percentage of the Dutch PhD students do you guys think are, um, yeah, not from the Netherlands? So how what percentage are international? 20%. No, maybe, f- yeah, 18. 18, okay. 25. 25? Are foreign uh, yeah. that are working at the university? Yeah, uh, I would say forty-five percent. Oh, you're the closest. It's around forty percent, uh, but that data might be one or two years old. So who knows? So it's that actually a huge share. Yeah. So of all the the PhD students in the Netherlands, about forty percent is uh, is international. So really excited to to kind of um, also include your experiences here. The other half. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. That's how much we've been talking in a bubble. Ignoring almost half of the the perceptives, um, so maybe a little bit to start off. So why do you, do you decide to do a PhD, and and why in the Netherlands? And before, also maybe you can explain something about what you did before, maybe your previous experience. Martin, yep. will you start? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I was um, working in um, the field of international cooperation or development, as we call it uh, specifically nature-based solutions. And I had been doing that for the past uh, more or less five years and uh, always sought for opportunities to do a PhD while working as I always felt that there was, I wanted to research, I wanted to delve deeper in the problems that I was looking at and that I was always solving in a rather superficial form. Um, And 
um, yeah, I was looking for opportunities in many different places. Uh, first in Australia, uh, where I did one of my masters. Also in Canada, where I did my bachelor's degree. And in France, because uh, I'm part French. Uh, but uh, I was looking at pretty much everywhere in Europe uh, and also the U.S. And at the end, uh, I have received this uh, basically work uh, proposal from the Cresting Project in which Kausop is also uh, part. And I saw the topic was on the circular economy and uh, there were 15 new students. The project seemed really, really interesting. And there were quite a number of universities that were in that project. Amongst the seven, uh, I found that the topic that most related to what I wanted to study, which was specifically circular economy policies and discourses, uh, was, was in Utrecht University. And uh, so I applied and I, yeah, um, it worked out. Cool. So for you, it was much more about topic than it was about place in choosing where you wanted to... Uh Yes, definitely. And in any case, it was also about funding opportunities. And in that case, the funding opportunity just happened to be in the Netherlands. Um, I do have to admit that I have found quite a few opportunities in the Netherlands, but not always in topics that related to my work. Um, but yeah, for once, this did align. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity. Okay. And cool. how was that for you, Kaushal? Well, uh, I was... Looking for PhD opportunities ever since the, my master's. Uh, can we? Can I, we uh, yeah. I did uh, do a few things uh, in between my master's and before starting the PhD. But for my PhD, I was really interested in working in the global south. So uh, I was looking for PhDs, especially in Europe and only in Europe. That was part of uh, uh, fieldwork, uh, part of uh, enhancing the North-South discourse, uh, like trying to expose myself to doing field work in the Global South. So uh, this opportunity at the Copernicus Institute was uh, quite nice because it allowed me to work in uh, Ch China and then in Nigeria, which uh, uh, was quite exciting to begin with. And that's why I applied to this PhD. And I did apply to a few other PhDs, also quite similar, working in Brazil, uh, working in, in Indonesia. So uh, for me, it was uh, mostly the topic and also the exposure to doing research in Global South. Yeah, so it was looking at a university in Europe with the opportunity to actually do field work in the Global South. Well, I wanted to come back to Europe because I did my master's in Europe and then I worked in Europe for a, a year. So I kind of missed being in being here, being close to some of the friends. So I wanted to be based in Europe, but uh, at the same time uh, experience doing field work in the global south. Was that also in the Netherlands or somewhere else in Europe? Your master's? Oh, my master's was uh, primarily in Budapest at Central European University, but I also was part in the uh, University of Asia in, in Lesbos Island and then also University of Manchester in the UK. Okay, so your experience in the Netherlands were new when you started your PhD? Yeah, it was the first time I've, I'd come to Netherlands. I'd been here once, but at the airport, that doesn't really count. So <laughs> I had zero experience. But I, I, in my head, it was a lo lot of bike lanes, which always made me happy. <laughs> and so so that, that first uh, idea that you had, did it come true? You find that we have a lot of bike lanes? Oh, yeah, that was that was the first thing I noticed, and it was the most pleasant thing ever since, yeah. Bike lanes. 
Cool. <laughs> so I think that, that that is a really nice transition, actually, to to kind of what we will be talking about too. Uh, for today, I think we have two topics: uh, life in the Netherlands um, and work in the Netherlands. And I think with the bike lanes, we we've started on life. Um, at least I think none of us are studying bike lanes. So uh, let's let's go to that topic. So how do you guys find life in the Netherlands? What surprises you? What what what's challenging? What do you enjoy? And what did you expect? Hmm. Uh, should I, yeah. Um, well, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I also had only been here once before with my parents. Uh, so it was it was a different experience. And uh, I was just 16 and I only stayed for maybe four days. Uh, and, I'm, and in Amsterdam. So I, I only knew a very limited part of the country. Uh and I was expecting, I guess, a very open society, very socially kind of equal and very um, uh, down to earth. Uh, and I think great part that uh, that is what I found, um, except for the healthcare system, which was a bit complicated to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was much less socially down to earth than what I hoped. Uh, but expect uh, other than that i was yeah i mean i found the bike lanes that you know we also do think about when we think about the netherlands and um it was it was it was a good experience very open society also as i thought because it's a place where you can literally live without speaking the language and i don't know another country on earth where you could arrive uh without without having to be, learn the language and survive and live completely uh and and work uh, in, in, without knowing the language. That's, I think, phenomenal. And it really shows the extent to which, uh, well, first, people here know English uh, and also how open uh, people are in general and they won't judge you or kind of uh, think it's uncomfortable or wrong to, to gen generally just start speaking in, in, in English with someone. I would first have to, like, excuse myself when I began conversations, even, like, when I went to do grocery shopping. So, oh, I'm sorry, can I speak in English? But now I don't even do it anymore because I realize people don't really care as much and they're really just uh, open to that. Uh, and and they it's become normal. It's a city with a lot of students and a lot of people from all over the world. So, um, yeah, that, that's been really nice. And I see you nodding, Kastop. I see you nodding when uh, Martin said that he doesn't excuse himself for speaking English anymore. Yes, that's that's what I used to do as well. Uh, I would say, excuse me, do you speak English? But now I, I just speak English. And most of the times, 99.9% of the time, they speak English. So it's, uh, it's yeah, quite easy to approach people in terms of uh, communication with them. And... Uh, Maybe mm -hmm. to come back uh, to your question, I didn't have a lot of expectations apart from the fact that uh, I could and there would be bike lanes and I like biking. I am not. I just like to bike. So, in a safe way, uh, which was not the case in uh, Manchester <laughs> or in Budapest, uh, as much as I love Budapest. But uh, and what w I was exciting was the few my, of my master's friends about six of them living here, mostly in Amsterdam. Uh, so we were like one big family. So it was quite exciting for me to come to the Netherlands and to get to see them again on a like regular basis, which I hadn't been able to do so because I was not living in Europe. So that mm -hmm. was uh, quite nice. It's still quite nice. 
So is that then also kind of from a, a social perspective that you, even though you didn't know the country, you hadn't been here before, the fact that people spoke English and the fact that you knew other people that lived here made it kind of easier socially? Oh, yes, definitely. Because I, I remember I coming to the central station and Nico, a friend of mine who is now at the Copernicus Institute, coming there to welcome me and going to stay with him and his girlfriend and then It was only for four or five days, but then I ended up staying for six weeks, I think. And they, they, they were like more than happy to have me around. And it was just uh, quite hard to find an apartment either in Amsterdam or in Utrecht. But I'm so glad I have I had my friends, so I could I had a place to stay from day one. Yeah, yeah. And on the you already addressed now the social aspect. What is your both your experience on? Uh, social interactions in the Netherlands? Is it easy to make friends, uh, get contacts, uh, get to know the community? Uh, my experience is a bit limited. It's very easy to approach anybody on the streets or anywhere. I don't hesitate twice. To, to, but uh, making friends, I think uh, it's always a bit challenging. And also... This year has been Corona, and last year I was gone most of the yeah. time from the Netherlands. I was uh, doing field work, uh, uh, doing my second month. So uh, the whole summer I was gone. I, I left the uh, Netherlands in June and came back uh, almost late November. So, so you know, this period yeah. of summer when everybody is relaxed and like you have things going, a lot of things going around. You know, events. I was gone most of the case, and when, when I came back, it was dark and cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but but I think uh, it's like you know, you, it's up to us as well in order to approach people and try to make friends. Uh, but uh, but yeah. you know, I, I'm there. Are two of my friends, and I've been to your house. So you know, it's it's. I don't think it's terribly hard to make friends. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, Martin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I'm lucky because I, I we started with quite a few people the project uh, where I got hired. So first of all, there's three of us, and obviously we became really close. And then quite a number of people actually started uh, their PhD or working at the Copernicus in similar times. So I was able to kind of meet people that were in the sort of same situation that had just arrived or that had just entered the Copernicus, and and that kind of created an atmosphere where it was easy to get along. Uh, and so I think that was really nice. And um, also in my housing where I live, uh, it's basically uh, like filled with people from all over the world. So I was able to meet tons of neighbors that essentially were in the same situation, uh, not working in the same area perhaps, but also just arriving in the country or having moved to Utrecht from another city. Uh, and just kind of, you know, trying to make friends and know people and everything. So that was beneficial and conductive to to just make a, a network. Uh, unfortunately, I, I just happened that most of the people I ended up being closer to or seeing like every weekend or every uh, almost every couple of days are um, basically from everywhere, uh, Poland, Italy, well, you know, obviously Nepal uh, and the UK, but um, yeah, so I wish I would have had more opportunities to make friends uh, of, of Dutch people, but I think partly the thing is people here already have their networks. 
they already have friends and families and whatever. So they don't necessarily obviously need to make new friends or meet new people because there's already so many people they have to spend their time with. And uh, obviously you can only have so many friends, right? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's totally normal, and it's it's the same yeah. everywhere, anywhere really. That uh, it expects or people that are from outside usually tend to hang around each other because they're the only people they have, literally. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, that's the situation. But in in general, I yeah, I I think it was easy because just there's so many people from everywhere in the Netherlands. It's kind of, I feel like every European has to come from the Netherlands to at least a year as a rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess with Brexit, it's going to be even more so because people used to go to the UK to have like a job or a master's degree or some kind of thing like that. Now I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Netherlands uh, even more so. I, I mean, it is now and it's more likely to be more. And, and the English uh, kind of uh, facility, mm -hmm. uh, you know, really helps and it's it's really a hotspot in a sense for for such a diversity. That's that's really useful. Mm. So I think what what you what you said about like experts hanging around experts is also something I recognized when I lived in the United States or in Australia. Like the people who get there and don't have any friends are more eager to make friends. So it's easier in that capacity. Um, but, but if I if yeah. I may interrupt, um, I do hear from both of you that the um, there is not that much of initiative from the Dutch society to incorporate you in Dutch networks. Like you say, they have already friends, they don't need it. Is that something you experience? Did you say, well, most people are not really interested in having new friends? Or do you think it's more also because you are not looking for it? I don't know. It might be a mix of the two. Like I, I, I come f like I. Well, at least halfly come from Latin America, and there usually we have a culture where people, the foreigners, we there are so few of them. <laughs> well, I mean there are a lot. I have to. I mean Ecuador, especially Quito, is very diverse city, but uh, the, the perhaps the, it's not as common to have in your workplace like uh, you know twenty percent or something of your workforce that's from another country. Uh, and and when there is maybe five percent from another country, uh, especially from Colombia, Venezuela, or, or, or North America, then uh, we tend to really want to like you know show them our country. You know we're like oh my God you're here uh, let me show you our food let me you know bring you to know this let me uh, you know take you to this mountain let me take you to this river let's go kayaking or whatever. So there's really like I don't know, we want we want to share our culture kind of very very much avidly. And obviously, that's uh, that that's that's a very cultural thing. Like some countries are more keen to really be like wanting to be really really hospitable. Uh, and obviously, here I guess it's it's less so. But yeah. you expect that from? I mean, it's true that it's something we, I kind of expected going to a Nordic or more northern country in Europe. Uh, that that people are uh, you know they they already have their networks and they're not necessarily so keen to like show you everything about their lives in their own cities. Uh, and I grew up in Paris and I've lived in the UK for some time, so I it, it's definitely not as warm <laughs> as in Ecuador there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean uh, I guess the further north you go, the <laughs> the colder it gets in that sense. Yeah, okay. but I, yeah, I think this is a really interesting perspective also. Um, so do you think that so do you think it's just uh, it's purely kind of the warmth or is it also a little bit of a culture so one thing that I think we as Dutch people really tend to overdo is we tend to plan things 
So if you want to hang out with me, I got time in two weeks from now on Friday. Yeah. Um, is that something that, that is part of this? Yeah, that's one of the uh, put-offs, let-offs, I guess, because yeah. uh, I don't plan way ahead. For me, sometimes I text Martin like, hey, come over for dinner and in two hours. So that's the way I have done things in the past. Uh, if, if you go to Nepal, there's no uh, real planning. And for me, it takes effort to plan these things. Uh, at work, it's fine. Okay, everything has to be planned. But with social activities, uh, it just I'd rather not do it than plan to do it. But slowly, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of seeing the positivity, or at least trying to, trying to do it. But, but then it doesn't come naturally to me. Mm. And uh, maybe if I was here as a master's student or a bachelor's student, then my experience would be different because uh, then everybody would, you know, you'd be in the same kind of situation and you wouldn't have uh, family members or like commitment. Uh, so like most PhDs, they have different commitments, uh, different, they're all already in different kinds of relationships. But I think my experience doing master's was quite uh, remarkable in the sense that There are people from all over the world, and it was uh, very easy to get to know everybody, plus also the local, uh, like the Hungarians. Uh, uh, it, but it takes time. It, it doesn't happen right away. You know? And also, you have to be out there wanting to do this, because I don't imagine people just, yeah. you know, you, you just bump into each other and become super friends. It's it's like not just the Dutch people, but also us. I think you clap with both hands, not just yeah. one. Yeah, I think so. So the interesting thing is that you guys started off with saying it's very open. Yeah. Um, and then now we're coming to an aspect where I think the Dutch culture is a lot more closed and that you're actually running into sometimes. Yeah, well, open in the sense that I, I don't feel hesitant to discuss something, uh, politics, anything, you know, uh, like Martin said, uh, without uh, seeking instant judgment. In that sense, yeah, it's it's great uh, open society. Uh, but m maybe in Nepal, if I were to discuss uh, about certain topics with openly with random people, uh, all I would hear is judgments against me, uh, about me. So in that sense, I, I, I do think uh, Dutch culture is open. Mm -hmm. But uh, also, it depends yeah, on yeah. What, what kind of openness we are talking about. Yeah, so so it's, it's two different dimensions. Right? Yeah, so you're saying that it's in on what you can discuss, it's a very free society. It's not really morally bounded on what you can say and what not, and people judging you. But in terms of connections, it is maybe a bit closed off, as in very difficult to make real friends and to really get in contact. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I I don't know. It would be at least a bit of judgment on my part to come to that <laughs> conclusion because I'm not, uh, you know, wanting to like, yeah. oh, this month I want to make super close friends with a Dutch guy or a girl. So, uh, but but I can't say anything because I haven't really tried. At some point I was like, okay, it's it's a bit different atmosphere. Like, like Martin said, maybe in Nepal, if I was there as a foreigner, then people would be like, oh, come here, like, come to my house, let's eat together, you're invited all the time. I mean, I come from that, like, very warm, hospitable culture, but I don't expect that all everywhere, and I don't uh, think that one is better, you know? So it's just a 
difference in culture, I no, guess. But, yeah. but I think the, 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 yeah, maybe we can call it criticism, or let's say it's a criticism from me on Dutch culture, is that we tend to be too structured and that the door is not open for people to just drop by naturally. And that that is something that you do find missing in the Netherlands. And then we don't need to judge about whether it's good or bad. Yeah. But it's something you miss from your own background that you can just drop in and there's an extra chair at the ta- dinner table. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, that happened all the time to me. Like, you just show up and, you know, uh, your friends showed up and there's always more food and there's more, always more chairs. So uh, that's that's part of my my being, I guess, because I grew up in that society for 17, 18 years. So uh, that's quite normal for me. But I heard that's very abnormal here in the Netherlands, which has its own reasons. I'm not saying one is better, but it's just yeah. like different. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, really cool to hear this perspective. And if we now move to work, mm-hmm. is that, do you feel something similar or are there other kind of problems or problems, things yeah. that you notice? Well, maybe in the same line. That's a better formulation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> things, what are the things that you notice while yeah. working? It's yeah. very neutral. I love it. <laughs> Well, one of the things that's certain is that, well, I guess the corona didn't really help, but in Ecuador, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at work that makes absolutely everybody at work like very close friends. I like to the extent that you know uh, way more than you should about them, which is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> No, but what I mean is you're really close. Like you really know their parents, their you know, you know who their sisters are, who their you know uh, siblings and cousins, and what they did the weekend, and what they're doing the next weekend, and whether you'll be there or not. And this happens mostly because uh, at work there's a lot of games that happen. There's a lot of things or moments where you share a lot, and uh, I think we do have this sometimes here at the office when we plan on Fridays. Sometimes like you know drinking and stuff. But it's less, uh, you end up talking to the same people. Usually you talk to the friends with with which you are at your own room anyways, uh, or within your circle anyways. But there, there, uh, in Ecuador at least, uh, how I've worked and in some other countries, there's real kind of sometimes organized games and uh, kind of sessions where you would really always end up hanging out with everybody. Uh, for example, in October, we do this huge card tournament and every single office closes its doors, uh, except for public offices, obviously. <laughs> but we had to create a police ministry that had to go through the ministries to make sure the ministries are actually working that day. Because seriously, <laughs> everybody's playing cards. Everybody's doing this tournament. And it's really, really fun. And, and, and there's other days like that. Like, for example, for Christmas, we always have these crazy uh, Secret Santa events and we have tons of parties. We always drink and dance uh, together. Uh, we, we celebrate all the birthdays of all the staff members together. And the office usually buys the, whatever needs to be bought for the party of whoever's birthday it is. And, and organizes little something. Then for Carnival, we organize an entire balloon, uh, water balloon contest where we throw balloons at each other. And there's just tons of little things that, that really make the office have fun. Uh, and, and, and obviously, that, that's not something you can change from one day to the next, but it really makes everybody really know each other in a, in a, in a deeper level. And then another thing we do is we take lunch very seriously. 
<laughs> like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it has to be a warm meal and usually three courses with a drink. Uh, and by a drink, not glass of milk, but rather like a juice and, you know, freshly pressed if, if possible. Obviously, it helps to be in the tropics. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and sometimes a beer wouldn't hurt. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, that's but not that's really something that's acceptable in the Netherlands, right? Uh, yeah. Lunch, uh, when you're having lunch uh, on a work day, have a beer or a glass of wine. Super weird that it's not. I once with Kalsup, we went to get a, a sandwich in, in one of the places here. And uh, we just finished a big class and it was quite you know, stressful because, you know, it was like partly online, partly present. I mean, it was it was just a lot of organization. It was a hassle and we wanted a beer. Uh, and even if it wasn't a stressful day, we just could have wanted a beer. Uh, they, they, they forced us to take a, a little cup and, and put our beer in a, in a coffee mug because it would look uh, <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> Well, I, I'd say we're celebrating our first lecture together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but we shouldn't have to, like, even if you don't want to celebrate, I mean, if you want a beer at lunch, it's normal. I mean, you're not going to get drunk from a beer at lunch. You know, it's just, uh, you know, sometimes you need to unwind. I mean, I've had, in Ecuador, you usually always plan lunch, you know, and you go in big groups, you go, you specifically choose what restaurants you're going to. And uh, usually spend an hour there unless you have a lot of work. And then obviously sometimes you might go have to go quickly. But it's really a really important thing. And how are you experiencing lunch in the Netherlands? Well, now with Corona, it's amazing. <laughs> I cook myself. So I have warm food. <laughs> I, I agree to that. You just get off the chair to the kitchen. You spend half an hour preparing something nice, warm. And then... Uh, yeah, exactly. But, but the sad thing is you eat alone most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, during Corona. Yeah, that's that's the yeah. that's the big issue. It's really fun to just unwind with whoever, and that's the cool thing as well. You get to meet a lot of people from work because everybody eats at the same time, right? And and everybody goes for a long time to eat, and you always go to eat with different people. Obviously, you can't go like thirty people in the same restaurant, but very often you go like you know one day with you know friend group X, and the other day with the other group from I don't know the financial office, and the other group with uh, administration. I don't know. And and it just makes lunch more diverse and fun. Uh, I think that yeah, that our uh, thirty minutes bring your own sandwich. Uh, we do <laughs> we do sometimes sit together like with people of the office, like we find a spot in the office yeah, yeah. where everybody goes to. But it's definitely more of an eat and have a bit of a chat than about this like really elaborate culture. Yeah, I think. And it's always the, the same people. That's probably the thing. Yeah. It's like yeah, we do. It's true. Probably there's so many of us that are from foreign countries now at the office that. We do go together at the end and even uh, sit down and still have like maybe 45 minute uh, lunch and chat. But I, it's just always the same people, right? It's not, I'm not going to meet the guys from the, you know, uh, other other groups in the Copernicus. And, and there's 200 of us. Uh, so yeah. And the fact that there's also one canteen uh, doesn't really generate that because sometimes just trying new restaurants with new people, sometimes, you know... So, if you're in Ecuador and someone wants, I don't know, pizza and another guy wants Chinese and another group wants this other, you just go to whatever you want to eat. So you end up eating with the people that went there rather than with your friends sometimes. And that makes you meet other friends and you become closer to them too. So the fact that here there's one option to, to eat and, 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 and no one really uses it, it's you just bring your own food. It's, it, it really limits that, that, that kind of interaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
even if, especially if you have the more traditional way of doing lunch in the Netherlands, right? Which is having a coffee behind the desk while you're still reading some kind of thing, it, having your meal uh, brought with you, your sandwiches and... Definitely, yeah. yeah. yeah so I think a very yeah, relevant perception of kind of the importance of lunch, which we don't recognize in Dutch culture. And then especially about the connections you create, the kind of uh, interactions, the new... Uh, spillovers, as we would call it in innovation theory. Snore. Um, what are other things that stand out? For well, me, uh, one of the biggest pleasant surprises was the seeming uh, lack of hierarchy. Uh, you know, there's always some kind of hierarchy. I think it's, uh, it's only natural to uh, be present in uh, structures, societal structures, but 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 then the the fact that I can approach to any of my colleagues, not just you guys, whom, whom I share the room with, but professors, my supervisor, like you know anybody, I can, I can knock on the door, I can say like, hey, by his first, his or her first name, which is amazing, because in Nepal, <laughs> if you want to approach your professor, it's like, yes, sir, honorable, la la la. I mean, there, there's this. Uh, uh, this formality, which is not a bad thing, but I, I don't like it's It almost feels a bit uh, fake to me, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you don't feel you want to respect them like my, uh, queen and kings, but you have to. But but yeah, it's, it's a lot open in the sense, again, going back to the idea of openness, it's like I can just walk in and I say like, hey, Walter, you know, and and, and discuss. So like Walter being your supervisor. Yeah, well, Walter is my supervisor. So so I I would, the first time I met him, I didn't know how to say address him, but but then it was like hey, I'm Walter. So so you know that 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 immediately breaks down a lot of barriers. Uh, so maybe maybe in in Martin's case, or like even in, it happens in Nepal, I guess you break down these barriers during lunchtime. But here, maybe the barriers. You know, it would be nice to have long, nice, hot lunch, but at the same time, it's also super nice to approach somebody uh, yeah, in a very colloquial in a very, fashion. very, you know, and you don't have to feel like he's higher than me or she's higher than me or I'm, I'm below. Like, that's how I grew up, where, you know, even to approach my teacher in classroom, it was like, miss, uh, please, you know, all this. Yeah. Uh, so, so I feel like uh, the the uh, I think it goes back to pull the model where everybody is considered equal and has equal say. It's it's quite nice, and that also facilitates a lot of collaboration, which we both Martin and I we like to do in our research. Uh, like most people at Cop Copernicus does it. So I, I think that's quite nice. So, are you do you agree that you experience like a relatively flat hierarchy at work? Yeah, that's. I have to say, it's also really nice. I mean, that really changes. I, I mean, in Ecuador and in France, it's crazy hierarchical, and you know, there's different ways to address people that are of higher uh, kind of status, at least, or in terms of education or in terms of uh, you know, job or office or whatever. And it's it really makes a difference with in the atmosphere. Even though, yeah, as you said, you do break those bonds in in some moments and. Uh, obviously, but it really depends on the office in which you are. And generally, when you're in big institutions, those bonds remain. Uh, and it's so nice to see that uh, here, it doesn't really matter how big the institution is. There's always going to be much nicer kind of equality within, at least in, in the treatment of, of, of people throughout 
and I think that's super nice. I think uh, I'm, yeah. I'm having a quick look at, yeah, but like it, to me, this is really interesting to hear also because I never thought about the university or our university as a low hierarchy institute. So I'm so used to the fact that kind of it is normal to have relatively low hier hierarchy that I sometimes think about the university as too hierarchical. Mm -hmm. But then to hear your mm -hmm. stories, like I'm seeing really surprised faces when I say that. So I think that's that's a good perspective to have also that. Yeah. Um, but it can it's be challenging, though, I have to admit, for foreign students because you have much more on your shoulders when you are in a non-hierarchical kind of structure like that. You're expected a bit more. Like, for example, in mm -hmm. well, in, in my culture and cultures I've been working with more, you, you, you're you not so proactive and you're not kind of expected to bring so much, uh, especially for the if you're in lower, I guess, in the yep. workforce. Yeah, uh, you're supposed to execute, not to think based on your feet, basically. Yeah, or you can provide feedback, of course, obviously you should, uh, but you have, uh, you're you're not expected to. And, uh, you know, and, and, and in some way here, when you don't do it, and if you just, you know, if you're just a good worker and, you know, you do what you know is, is on your plate and you do what's, what's that, uh, everything you have to do, it, it's not enough here. Here, yeah. I, I feel like you really do have to proactively seek things and, and, and uh, propose ideas and stuff. Otherwise, you're kind of, it's like, oh, what is this guy doing, right? And um, I, I feel that can be a bit challenging. I mean, I got, I think it, I understood that I had to communicate better what I was doing and kind of to be a bit more proactive. And, and once I understood that, that's, that's fine. Uh, and I think it worked out really well. And I prefer it way than, I mean, way more than any other structure. But it, it can be, and I, I think it, uh, it, it, in any case, if there's a supervisor that supervises a PhD student that's from another culture, I think it, it would be very useful for them to kind of show these different ways of working uh, that others might not be accustomed to. Uh, so, so, so kind of that expectation to be proactive is something that we have in, in Dutch society and Dutch universities, but that's not explicit the moment you arrive. So you have to kind of figure out that you're expected to do that mm -hmm. and then figure out yourself how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think that's a really interesting. important, interesting lesson for for everybody who will. Yeah, yeah. Is that is do you also recognize this, Kausto? Uh, uh I don't see it as obvious. Uh, but also, I'm not saying I'm super proactive, which I'm not. But Perhaps it applies less to us than because I'm, I'm thinking about my wife's work as well a mm -hmm. lot, and she works in a Dutch institution, and and obviously it's a very different framework from where you work. Or where we work, obviously, because yeah. we are PG students, so we're still very yeah. free. Yeah, uh, I, I think, for, uh, at least from my experience uh, working here myself and not comparing to others, mm. I don't feel the expectation to be proactive. You know, uh, the fact that I can just be and when I have inputs, I can give inputs helps then like, hey, you always have to have an input ready. Uh, yeah, so it's more the other way around. It's not that you have to do it. But, but that you can do it. Exactly. If you have yeah. inputs, then uh, you, yeah. you, your input counts. Yeah. You know? I, I experienced this the other way around. We have like we had like three times an American professor over to have a talk, and three times I got into a huge fight with them <laughs> because they presented their theory, and I asked a critical question <laughs> around it. I said, like, but it doesn't work, and I think your story is oversimplistic. And three times I got the answer, like, 
what is your title? <laughs> and then I said, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. What do you think about my argument? And to really realize, yeah, well, in America, it's also way different. Like, mm. you should first tell, like, 40 times how amazing, innovative the, the idea is before you criticize it, mm -hmm. especially if you're a PhD student. Well, I, I don't know about being doing P being a PhD in the US, but I did my undergrad in US for four years, and I thought people are okay, not as as less hierarchical as here, but compared to Nepal, uh, like you know, I, I I don't feel that was the case. If if you made a point, they listen to you. I think, but okay. uh, maybe, maybe I just do it different. The interesting thing here is that it's perspective. Is what background do you come from really influences how you perceive the same situation, and I think that is uh, maybe I think the also a little bit of a rounding up lesson um, from the talk that we had today is that when you're working with international uh, PhDs, try to learn a little bit more about their background, their culture, and how their perception is. And I think for me, what I'm going to take away from this is if I have a free evening, I should call you guys because you <laughs> might are maybe more open <laughs> to uh, doing something spontaneous than my, my Dutch uh, network is. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, always available. Definitely. Just text us. Can we invite you again for an extra talk? I have the feeling we did not discuss all the topics yet. So I think we need a second podcast to discuss this further because this is so interesting. Sure, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Uh, well, we really want to thank you for coming in. Uh, we really enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, we hope you, as the listener, also enjoyed this uh, yeah, special first episode with guests of the Copernicast. Um, and it was a pleasure having Martin and uh, Kaustop here. And also thanks to you, Jaap, for your participation. Yeah, thank you as well, Jaap. Yeah.